Seahawks fans wherever you may be. Welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and featuring 12thManRising.com editor and football analyst, Keith Myers. Hey, Hawks fans, welcome to the Hawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alpstead, here again this week with Keith Myers. Hey, how's it going? It's uh, it's been a challenging week for a number of different reasons, which I don't really need to get into because you know I don't want to drag everybody down because I'm mostly up now because I've been looking forward to the podcast so much as a bright spot in my week that I actually feel pretty good about this uh, this podcast that we're going to do. Um, my daughter graduated from college this last weekend, so I went back east to do that. So that's an extremely gratifying moment as a father to have your daughter graduate from college with a degree in business. And then, um, yeah, and Mother's Day coming up this weekend, rookie mini camps here this weekend. We've got a lot to talk about um, this podcast. We're going to do uh, roster battles and focus on offensive skill positions. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. This is uh, going to be a fun little podcast. These are a lot of names that people uh, know and like to talk about and like to get information on and, and lots of fun stuff to really get into. This has been uh, been one of those podcasts I'm definitely looking forward to. Yeah, yeah. So Can't skill positions, to we're going to look at quarterbacks, we're going to look at running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. And we might even talk about a kicker, maybe. Maybe. Um, but bef- be- before we get into the fun stuff, there's a couple of um, not so fun news items that we kind of need to hit on. Yeah, some, you know, some junk happened this this weekend regarding a couple players with the, with the Hawks organization. Why don't you why don't you uh, fill us in? Well, the first one is that uh, it got reported that uh, nose tackle Jerron Reed was arrested uh, on domestic assault charges. Uh, this happened the morning of the draft. Is it is um, he actually charged, or is it an investigation? I I can't I didn't know. Well, the thing I read said that he was charged because um, he was arrested later um, as part of it, but that might have been an incorrect report and just people using uh, language which people are familiar with and right. not necessarily reporting the facts correctly. So that part I don't know. Um, but I do know that that this is something that the Seahawks are, are going to have to watch and look for, you know, go through. Because if it turns out that there is something there, um, Reed could definitely face a uh, suspension at some point. Yeah, and that's you know that's never good news um, for a player for the for the or the organization who he represents. You know, uh, these guys need to need to be careful and, and be aware. Um, but in in response to that, what else happened? And and it involved uh, Frank Clark. Yeah. So the whole Frank Clark situation this week was was pretty weird because what you had is uh, what felt like out of the blue, he came out and um, kind of attacked a, a, a local reporter on Twitter. And basically, was saying that her career will be over soon. And he, but when she's looking for work, he has a fish tank that she can clean, and all of that. And it all stems back to an article that she wrote two years ago, um, when the Seahawks drafted Clark, and you know, kind of profiled all of the 
uh, domestic violence um, concerns that everybody had about Clark at the time. And so she so. had a, a current uh, article out, and then she referenced mm-hmm. back to a uh, to an older article that she had wrote, which is in complete context for her and her right to do so as a, as a writer. Um, but but it didn't sit well with Frank because it brought up some old memories that he definitely thinks that he is putting in the past, and he's finding out that those things hang around your neck for a while. True, and I think one of the things that you run into here is that um, at the time that the original article was written, things were presented based on the context of the information that was known at the time. And so when she references back to that, she's referencing back to what was known about it at the time and what the Seahawks did, which was draft a player who they knew those certain details. Um, You know, context can change. And so we, you know, we, we think we know more now than we did then. um, But he didn't react. He didn't react well to it. No, not at all. And then he apologized, but it was kind of one of those, hey, if anybody was uh, offended, I apologize to you. But he didn't apologize to her. And then the the team came up and really stepped its pressure up on him and said that it was, what what was the term that the team used? I I don't actually have that here. I I just know that I read it and I was... Extreme disappointment or something like that. And so... Yeah, I just remember like, hmm, that's that's pretty clear what they're they're trying to say there. And then then he he did uh, basically a full paragraph uh, reply directly to her and apologizing. So... Yeah, which was absolutely needed. Um, I mean, he could not have handled it worse. Let's just just come out and, and say that. He just... He could not have handled that situation any worse than he did, and um, and maybe he he you know in the end, um, it's a it's a, again a learning opportunity for a player like Frank Clark that these sorts of things uh, you you're going to need to own for the rest of your life, particularly mm-hmm. when you're in a high profile position like a player on the Seahawks. Yeah, and so you know, it's just going to be it's going to be one of those things that he's going to need to be aware of uh, moving forward. That uh, when these sorts of issues do resurface again, even if he hasn't done anything, he still did something a long time ago, and he's going to have to own that. And when he uh, when he gets in those situations, the best policy is probably no uh, no response. Yeah, absolutely. I mean he he shouldn't have responded. He should have just let it go. And if you if he actually believes that this is something that he is going to move beyond and and ha- has learned from and all of that and wants to remove that uh, stigma from his reputation, he can't react this way. He absolutely can't. Sure. Um, and, you know, it's just yet another mistake and it just basically is going to continue to drive that wedge between him and some Seahawk fans. Now, it was also a little bit weird because you have... Uh, a, another segment of Seahawk fans that uh, really went hard after um, the the writer involved and just attacked her like pretty yeah, viciously. Yeah, that's unfortunate. That's really unfortunate. It's really, really just bad form and just it looks terrible. Well, it's an so. imma- immaturity and a lack of understanding of the depth of the issue itself. Now, um, an argument can be made on Frank Clark's behalf that it is a frustrating situation to have these sorts of issues uh, brought up over and over again, especially if you're really trying hard to put them behind you. 
Um, but that doesn't excuse the behavior and, um, and the response. And that's, that's at the core of the issue is, is his response in this. There's nothing he can do about what he did in the past um, except for try to live his life the best that he can. It looks like he is. This is an unfortunate hiccup along the way, and hopefully this is the last time it, it comes up. Yeah, we can hope. Um, and we'll just we'll have to just see as he progresses that, you know, did he learn from this? Does he does he figure this out or does it become a continual problem? Because if it is does become a continual problem, then, you know, that's another thing that we're going to have to talk about in another show. Well, and 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 for Jaron uh Jaron Reed. I mean, we we've just begun this story and um we don't know exactly where that's going to end up either. So, um Keep it together, guys. I know it's the off season, but try to yep. try to stay good until uh, camp starts. So, speaking of um, the the players, uh, we had a few signings and cuts, and at this time of the year, a lot of them don't mean a lot. We just signed a whole bunch of undrafted free agents, priority free agents, onto the team. Those are awesome. Um, but you know, after that, you've got some cuts. Um, and some signings along the way to build that roster eventually up to 90 players before camp starts. So it's a very fluid kind of time. But uh, we had a couple of players of note. Uh, The Seahawks did, um, they signed David Bass, which has been a player that's been been around a little while. They released eight players. They've released even more uh, since since that note was published, but including Parrish Cox, who I thought might compete a little bit, at least through some of camp. Um, for even the veteran presence would have been would have been a plus with all the defensive backs we had coming in, and then uh, they had some other players, including uh, George Farmer which I thought was interesting. And then John Lungsford, the kicker that we had signed to compete with Blair Walsh, they had also cut. So now it's just Blair. Yeah, it's just Blair. Let's hope that it doesn't stay that way, that that's a situation that needs addressing. But uh, yeah. Well, he needs. we need at least another leg in camp. Yeah. Uh, you look at, at the, that list, um, Farmer was an interesting one because he was a cornerback a year ago in training camp until all the running back injuries, and then he moved to running back. He's also been a receiver uh, at times for the Seahawks. He's a great athlete, but has no position. Um, and he's really never shown. I mean, he's he's come on and had a couple of carries, you know, when we were in desperate straits last year in the running back situation. But other than that. Yeah, I don't, you know, guys on the peripheral like that are come and go all the time. And so, well, I, I think I enjoy him as a, as a person and his skill set. You're right. It's, you know, mm-hmm. I, there's really no good fit on the team for him. Yeah. And Parrish Cox was always a, um, veteran, bring him in. Just, you know, we have to have somebody and just in case everything falls apart, we, we will have someone right. who knows our system and that kind of stuff. But then you look at the the large number of uh, defensive backs that were drafted and signed and they just didn't need him. And a guy, he's a guy who had one really good year um, in his entire career and has, he's got some, uh, he's got some return skills. I mean that he could be a, a, you know, a little bit of a return guy in a pinch, but I kind of feel sorry for him. A guy like that, that's a total roster hopper because he he's been signed by the Seahawks like three times, and I don't mm-hmm. think that he's really he's hasn't sniffed 
his way onto a regular season roster yet. Oh, he has. He had one one Did he? game. Did he? One um, game. Okay. Yeah, I think it was in. Um, in actually, it was in the the Super Bowl year, twenty thirteen. He, um, he when the Seahawks had some injuries with uh, Browner and then Maxwell, he got himself onto uh, the roster. And then when those guys or when Maxwell came back and um, those guys, he got he, he there wasn't room for him, so he got cut and went to San Francisco. Um, and then he had a, that really good year in twenty fourteen in San Francisco. Like he was, yeah, he was kind of yeah, a star. Yeah, yeah. And then since then, 2015 and 2016 were not good seasons. He uh, spent portions of them hurt and other portions of them completely ineffective. And, which and is, that'll work you out of the league. Yep. And uh, so he was just, he's just trying to catch on somewhere. And, and I, th- I think he'll get a chance at some point, especially probably down in San Francisco again, because they're looking to uh, change their defense into, basically they're modeling their defense after Seattle uh, Seattle scheme and he's I, a guy that, like... I think he's a guy that fits and they just desperately need cornerbacks so I think that he might I kind of like what what San Francisco is doing this this offseason um, you know Lynch as a general manager is an interesting pick at first and now I can see why he's just I think he's he's actually going to transform that team and maybe get us get our rivalry back and I kind of enjoy a rivalry if you know I don't I don't care for San Francisco, but I want the Seahawks to have a rivalry because it's fun for me. I, mm-hmm. and, and San Francisco is like the evil post, you know, past evil empire, and you and they're a perfect rivalry for the Seahawks. And so, it, to me, when when they don't do very well and they're a highly diminished franchise, it's just not as fun. It just isn't as fun. Yeah the the best the best years were when they were good and. Yeah. The Seahawks were good and it was fun. And the Harbaugh was the coach and he yeah. was, you know, and, and Pete Carroll had a history and it was just kind of a, a good little thing. And yeah. it just went it away was, in a flash. It, it was so much fun. Even, you know, that it made for it. Did, the CX didn't have an easy path because they were good. And, but it was fun and that's football should be fun. If, if, if it isn't fun, then what are we doing here? Because it's, a, this is an entertainment in, industry. Well, speaking of fun, let's get to it. Um, let's let's talk about players that actually count okay. and uh, get right into the uh, position battles. And let's start out with quarterback. Uh, Russell Wilson's entrenched as the starter. He's there's no question there. that yeah, there's no question that he's not going to be there week in week out if healthy. Um, but let's talk about Russell Wilson just a little bit. I mean, he kind of had an off year last year. Uh, even before he was injured, well, I mean, he was injured right away, but. I don't. I just didn't get the sense that it was going to be an on year for him. I mean, he ended up with with all his stats and so forth that they were slightly down compared to um, career stats. And what are your thoughts going forward with with Wilson? Well, everyone had really high expectations for him because the second half of the previous year um, were so good. I mean, they were historically good. Uh, the second half of yes. the 2015 year, um, and so we had all these high expectations that he was going to maintain that level. Uh, and then he comes out and in the very first game, uh, he gets hurt and has that high ankle sprain that would have sidelined almost any other player. And he just statistically never recovered from that. And there was the knee injury, then the pec injury, and then it's just all these different things. And I think that when you look at the statistical nature of, of last year's season, you have to take in 
those injuries into account and also take into the fact that his blocking, which was yes, it was bad in the beginning of 2015 and then better at the end. Well, and then when his year went from eh, not that great to historically good in the 2015 year. And then last year it was bad in the beginning and it was bad in the middle and it was bad at the end and it never got better. And so right. he never really had that consistency where he could trust the pocket. And there was a lot... There were a lot of issues last year, especially at the end once he started to get healthy, where he just wasn't trusting his blocking. He was right. running out. And then out Lockett of... got hurt. And, yeah. yeah. So there it just some, wasn't meant to be. There it were just some definite issues. Uh, but, you know, there's no reason for us to assume that it, there's going to be a hangover. I mean, he's going to be healthy. He's going to come in, and hopefully the blocking will be better. I mean, And he, I think that he would come in highly motivated. I really do. I mean, he yeah. knows that it was down for him. It, it, you can attribute that to injuries and other issues and so forth. But for him, he's he's going to want to come out and, and be on fire. And, you know, he, it sounds like he's spent quite a bit of time uh, building uh, rapport with his receiver group in the off season, and I just have to feel that that's going to pay big dividends this year. Yeah, agreed. And you know, he posted a couple of videos of him working out and throwing uh, just before the draft, and I was surprised at how um, his throwing mechanics looked clean uh, for that. And granted, there's no pressure and all of that, but you go back and you look at. Even at the very end of the year, when he was when he was healthy, he would not drive onto that left leg where he had yes. the injury, and so he that, was he was just kind of planting on it, or he was leaving his feet, you know, stable and arm throwing everything. And when he's posting those videos and he's really driving onto that leg hard, it just looked so much like Russell Wilson again, and not yes. So I agree. I mean that that is definitely attributable to the injury, and then you know. <laughs> Anybody, any quarterback with our offensive line is going to probably develop some bad habits. And um, just from having to move around so much Mm -hmm. and not be able to set your feet. um, And I, you know, Russell Wilson's probably the best quarterback imaginable with our offensive line. But hopefully that's not going to be such a large issue this year. In fact, I really, I'm actually looking forward to our offensive line and we're not going to talk about it today, but I think that's definitely going to be the key to the improvement overall of the team. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be an optimist on it this year and think that it's going to get solved and we're going to, it, it, it if that offensive line performs at a league average, um, or even slightly better, let's just say the 15th overall offensive line, I think we're going to the Super Bowl. I mean, I think that the team, the window of opportunity for the Super Bowl is there. Anytime that Russell Wilson's your quarterback, it's going to be there. With the defensive uh, position group uh, add additions this year, I think the offense is primed to have a, a really nice year. And um, so those two units combined, I think we're we're probably a top five team. Oh, yeah. I mean, Seattle... Seattle's offense doesn't need uh, Dallas's offensive line to function uh, with with Russell Wilson. You know, one of the things that I always say is if you give him an average offensive line, he'll do elite things. Um, We saw that at the second half of 2015, and I think that the offensive line has a has a chance to approach that this year. And so if they yeah if they get up to average, you're going to see some some elite numbers from from Wilson. And I think there's some you know going to be some great things that happen. Uh, I have my reservations on whether or not that that unit can get up to average. We'll see. Uh, But, you know, there is definitely a reason for hope. 
I think that the thing kind of hinges on Posick in a way, but we'll get into that later. Let's talk about uh, Russell Wilson light, Trevon mm-hmm. Boykin. Yep. So Boykin is an interesting, uh, an interesting player because he does a lot of the things that Russell Wilson does uh, in terms of, you know, his ability to make people miss and, just have that escapability and the ability to run. And so you teams have, you know, if he's in there playing teams have to account for, um, for that. He also throws a, a pretty good deep ball, uh, which is one of the things that has been, uh, you know, the things that that's made Russell Wilson great is he does throw a good deep ball. So teams have to not only respect his ability to, to pull the ball down and run, but also respect his ability to, uh, hit a guy, you know, 30 or 40 yards downfield for a big play. And so they have to defend the whole field. And, uh, you know, he's he does all, all those things well. So the t- team doesn't have to uh, change the offense. They can continue to do what they're going to do uh, if he has to come in and play. And I think that's a that's a big thing for uh, for Seattle is to not have that where you, okay, here's our, our offense with Russell and then here's our offense with the backup. I was impressed with uh, Trevon when he had to come in um, and, and and play with the poise that that he had. And it looked a little nervous at first, but you know he developed poise over time. Led us to a, a nice touchdown drive one time. A pretty consistent performer: thirteen of eighteen for one hundred forty-five yards, seventy-two mm-hmm. percent completion rate. You know he threw in a pick, but you know that was early. He still ended up he still ended up with a 91 overall passer rating and for a a rook undrafted guy to come in and, and, and step in like that, I thought it showed a lot of promise. And I, you know, I'm, there's a lot of reason to be excited about this guy as a, as a kind of a future guy, if he's going to end up being number two, but you know, if I was a team out there looking for a quarterback to develop, I would, in a GM, I would have my eye on uh, Boykin, um, as a as a player that you could possibly build a team around, now you've still got a long way to go, and he's got to prove it. But I totally feel comfortable with him as our backup this this season. Last year, I was totally unsure because I didn't know what we had. Yeah, I mean, you, it, it's a little weird in that uh, we we've seen him one preseason and he looked okay, and then we saw him in one game and he looked actually pretty good at once he settled down the first. The first series was was you could tell he was nervous, but then he settled down and looked pretty good. But how much should we discount that performance because it was against a really bad San Francisco team? Yeah, uh, no, so, right. But but at the same time, Keith, he was in the system. He's he's in a well coached situation. He's behind one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, um, who plays exactly the same style as that, and so I don't think there's any better place for a guy like him to be. And you if, know. If Boykin was a couple of inches taller, would he be significantly different than Dak Prescott was last year? Like that in terms of talent, ability, the different things. I mean, obviously, uh, Prescott had an amazing running game, an offensive line, and all that kind of stuff. He he was in a good situation. uh, and And he showed the ability to read a defense and run, you know, that kind of stuff. But... Just on sure. the physical, on the physical aspect of it, they're very similar players, and yeah. and yeah. you, if you're gonna, if you think you can build a team around Prescott, which you absolutely can, he proved that last year. 
you know, why couldn't you build a team around Boykin? Now, that's what we're saying. We're basing this on one preseason and one game. Now, let's see how, yeah, yeah. what he looks like in camp this year and what he looks like in, in the preseason and, and can he continue to develop? Um, you know, and here's another player that got a little, little... I would say six months from now, we might have a completely different opinion of him. But right now, I think well, or really or six months from now, he might be worth a, a first or second round pick. Mm-hmm. If if you know if it came down to that, I mean, say if Russell misses four games, hopefully not. But if he did, and uh, Boykin came in and, and really performed well, um, yeah. it's it's that'd probably be the best case scenario for Seattle. But uh, beyond uh, Boykin. Um, we've got Jake Heaps that came in to be a camp arm again and Skylar Howard, um, that they picked up, uh, as an undrafted free agent, um, had some good stats, some consistent stats, but not overwhelming, but it looks like either a a practice squad guy or just a, a camp guy. Yeah. Um, Howard looks like a guy who, I mean, he's going to be there this weekend for the rookie mini camp, which is something we'll talk about, uh, next week. Uh, on the show since it hasn't happened yet uh we'll see kind of get an idea of of what he looks like and, and that kind of thing uh him and heaps are their camp arms at this point they're guys that are coming in because you can't have your two quarterbacks do all the reps for every wide receiver and every um tight end and every running back and you know all of that kind of stuff you've got to have extra arms uh three's a minimum four is more likely and that's what the seahawks have right now we'll see when they get through OTAs and, and into that period right before training camp, if they, the Seahawks don't uh, drop one of them and go into yeah. training camp with just three, we'll see. I mean, Heap showed last year that he is, he's a camp arm. He's not a guy who you're ever going to depend on, uh, on the roster because he just, his accuracy is just so poor. Uh, but at the same time, he knows the offense that the team trusts him. He's got right, right. Even though he's right. never played, he's been around the league long long enough to have kind of that that presence where um, he's just a, kind of a calming influence. So there's there are a lot of reasons yep. to have him have him around. And 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 besides, he's he's a local kid, so we kind of like he's a local guy. His family's there. in Seattle, so you know, yep. it's a good it's a good fit. Now, Skyler is an interesting guy because. He did have an overall uh, completion percentage of around 62, 63% in college with a, uh, yards per completion at, at 8.3 yards. Um, so he kind of fits that mold where they're, um, you know, he's throwing downfield a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Had 26 TDs, 10 interceptions last year. Um, it's, it is, but, and, and the competition wasn't bad. I mean, he's kind of a a mid uh, um, middling kind of competition out there, but but not yeah. too bad, and and performed well. I mean, he had uh, I think ten and two overall record, and came through in the clutch on on quite a few different games. So it'll be interesting to see if he's anything at all. Yeah, I mean, and, and he is going to be a lot like uh, Boykin was a year ago. We just won't. You know, we can look at the stuff, but it's really hard to project um, because of a, a bunch of different factors, you know, like the offense that they ran and that kind of stuff. It's really hard to project what he's going to look like in Seattle's offense right. until he's actually in it. Um, right. And, right, right. you know, once once uh, the OTAs are here or, or training camp begins and I get a chance to actually get out and watch 
practice and watch him run the offense, we'll get a, a, a better view of, of exactly what he is and how he fits and, and all of that. So it'll be, um, it'll be interesting because if he can give Boinkin a challenge and, you know, have the two of them really push each other, it's only going to mean good things for Seattle because one of them will step up and be better for it. And that's, that's kind of, kind of the hope and the reason why you keep bringing guys like that in. So let's move on and talk about the 47 running backs that they have on the roster. 47. I thought I had it at 49. Um, let's start with Eddie Lacy. I think, you know, they've, they've got, you know, 10, 12 guys uh, to, in camp to compete. And Eddie Lacy is at the top of the list uh, only because Rawls has got that injury history going on. And, and mm-hmm. Eddie, Eddie really has a chance to step in and be the number one back for Seattle. I think, what do you, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, the team posted some pictures of their workouts, and even though when they signed him, good. he was overweight, and they were talking about, oh, he hasn't been able to work out much because of his recovery, but he's he'll get in shape and he'll get get his weight down and blah blah blah. He, you know, those pictures, he looked fit, he looked ready to go. Um, so it's been a month, and it looks like he used that month well. So we'll, you know, I, I'm excited about that. If he is in shape. This is a guy that is really, really good. So, well, I, I I saw that he posted something where he was doing a fan challenge on losing weight too, uh, where he was going to try to be held accountable by all the, all his fans and so forth, which I thought was an interesting way to approach it. Um, any anything, whatever it takes, you know, come in, mm-hmm. be in shape, be the guy this year. He's under a one year contract. Um, you know, make it so Seattle can't afford you. I mean, have one of those years, please. I mean, we could use a guy like that that puts up 1,200 yards and just pounds people into submission. Oh, yeah. If I mean, it, there is there's no downside here if he comes in and does amazing because either he'll re-sign with Seattle and they'll have a player who will, you know, be motivated and, and play well for the next couple of years, or he won't re-sign here. Uh, the Seahawks will get a, a comp pick for him, and they will have gotten 1,200 yards and a dominant season out of him this year when they need him uh, as, you know, make a run for another Super Bowl. So there's there, having a motivated Eddie Lacy is such a good thing for the Seahawks. Well, this the, the next player on the list, Keith, is I think this is a very key season um, for Thomas Rawls because we know what he can do when he's healthy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's really fun to watch and, and really could be the, the, the identity of the offense. Again, if he can stay on the field, um, yeah. I think he could be a guy that could give you 1200 yards, um, easily in our offense. Um, but, but again, he's got to do it and he's got to prove it. And if he does, he could stick around the ball club for a while. I mean, they could give him a contract. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the kind of the make or break year for Rawls in Seattle because uh, as a rookie, he had great numbers. Uh, You know, he led the, the NFL in yards per carry for qualified runners, but he only started a few games because, you know, he was sharing time with Marshawn Lynch, but then he got hurt, um, you know, broke his ankle and that kind of stuff. And then last year was up, was much less impressive. And, uh, and then he got hurt. And so it's, it's been one of those, those situations where, uh, he's never stayed healthy for a full season. 
uh, if you look back at his time with Michigan and then his time with Central Michigan um, before coming to Seattle, he's never made it through a whole season healthy. And that's right, Keith. That's right. And so he's got to, that's something he's got to show because the talent is there, the pro- productivity is there, the fit to the offense is there. I mean, everything is there. He's just got to prove that he's worth it. This um, to give a contract to after this year because he can stay on the field. And if he does that, they'll you know they'll re-up him. And even if they don't, they'll probably give him. He'll be a restricted free agent. Uh, right, and they'll, right. They'll give him another one-year prove-it deal. But he is getting to that point now where he's. Kind of, he's going to injure himself right out of uh, a job if he can't right. can't stay healthy soon. Well, and there's again, there's no downside, like you said about um, Eddie Lacy. There's no downside for him having a great year. I mean, yeah. he needs to respond to the challenge of having Eddie Lacy on the team again. That'll be an interesting thing to watch is how he uh, responds to that, and it, it, that will be a fun camp battle to keep uh, a, a watch for. Um, because uh, it's all about competition with Pete Carroll. And Eddie Lacy coming to the team and that contract doesn't ensure the fact that he's going to be the starter. Um, and if Rawls wants to beat him out, and, and he does, that only shows good things for the Seahawks. Oh, yeah. Um, both of those guys are extremely talented, just very, very good players. And, you know, go fight for playing time. Go fight for snaps. Do it. Be good. And stay healthy, both of them. Uh, no, not, there's nothing bad that can can come out of that for the Seahawks. So and, one more health. Con- go ahead. I was going to say, and the, the, the third player that I would fit into that particular group would be Alex Collins. Now, he doesn't have the inner, uh, injury Same issues, type of back. But he's the same type of back. He's going to be, you know, that first and second down uh, guy that runs between the tackles hard, runs people over. Uh, very, very similar player. And was on the team last year. Didn't look that great at the beginning of the year. Looking much better at the end of the year. Um, I and so, agree. And so I agree. he's got a chance to come in and fight with Rawls and Lacey for for playing time and snaps. And especially if one I of think, those two guys falters or gets hurt, he's just going to be right there to just you know push him, push and him I think out of the role. One of the problems that I understood that Collins had was he came in a little out of shape, and he worked himself into shape throughout the year and then gained a little bit more confidence from uh, Pete Carroll and, um, and, and he saw a little bit more time and we needed him. We, I mean, we really needed him to step up and he did towards the end. That mm-hmm. was a good thing for him. Another guy that they brought in uh, out of the draft in the seventh round is Chris Carson and he runs like a truck and he, he likes to hit people. And I would put him in the kind of that same package as well. A guy that's going to be fighting for that probably fifth spot on the roster um, or he's going to end up on the practice squad. He'd probably be a good practice squad candidate because he was picked in the seventh round and, and he might be off the radar from some teams. But I tell you what, if he has a good preseason, watch out. Yeah. I mean, he's a guy who, um, who fits into that same role and, you know, gives them some depth. You're right about practice squad. That's kind of where I slotted him. Uh, but you know, I wouldn't have slotted Rawls on the roster uh, as a rookie I at all. Like so, or, yeah, yeah, and and all he did was come in and back up Marshawn and and um, make Christine Michael expendable, and then when he got a chance to lead the NFL in in yards per carry. So, um, so don't count any of these guys out. But I think that uh, he's a guy that can watch for. And then actually, they just. Uh, Picked, uh, had a waiver claim on Mike Davis um, 
and, and got him. And he's another guy that 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 will fit into that role. This is uh, when he was coming out of uh, college into the draft uh, out of South Carolina. This is a power back. This is a guy that will run between the the tackles and just try yeah. and kill kill people. Um, you know that that want to tackle him. And I really like him and his style. He doesn't have some of the quickness or foot speed that, you know, some of the other guys have, but man, he's just a truck. And well, and he was a fourth round pick in 2015. He's 24 years old. So don't discount that guy. I mean, he's got some, there's a lot of talent there and he's a good fit for Seattle's system. You know, especially when they put Russell, um, back in the shotgun and run that inside zone. I mean, he's a guy that can pound that up in, in there and, um, just make it real hard on those linebackers, make them not want to come up and, and hit him. So, I, I agree. And the last guy, I you know, we've got a couple other guys, but probably the last guy we need to talk about is uh, Trey Madden. Really liked him in college out of USC. Has all the talent in the world. Six, six foot, uh, 223, but he's got bad knees. And he's yep. never been able to stay healthy, even in college. And so um, I'm not sure if he's going to make it through the onto the roster this year at all. I think he may end up being... Uh, on the practice squad again, or they just may cut him. Yeah, I, originally when they brought him in, they were talking about him as a fullback because of of uh, the bad knees, and so they were um, saying, okay, well let's 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 convert him, let's 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 add ten pounds to him, and see if we can just get him running in straight lines where he doesn't have to make those cuts um, on his knees and just hit people. And it never really, they never really made. Uh, a lot of um, ground with that transition. So I'm I'm very curious to see what they do with him this year, whether they they keep him there at running back or, or shift him to fullback like the original plan was. Um, I think I actually think he'd make for a good fullback because of, you know, his style. Yeah. And he just, he likes to put his head down and, and run into people. And I think he'd be a good fit there. But at, you know, 223, he's just not big enough. He's got to get up. Uh, at least to 235 you're hoping closer to 240 so let's talk about another let's talk about another fullback really quick and there might even be two guys and I can't remember the the name of one of them but maybe you can Um, Brandon Cottom now I know that he's kind of goes back and forth between being a tight end look and a fullback guy and I thought Seattle was using him as a fullback, but now I'm not sure because you had him on our tight end list to talk about. Well, he's on our tight end list because that's what he's officially listed as, but he was the fullback last year. Uh, Going into and throughout training camp, he was the guy that lined up at fullback. They had a couple of uh, defensive tackles um, that they, you know, kind of ran through there, but every day in practice, it was Cottom was the guy with the ones. He was the guy that getting all the reps there. And then he tore his Achilles. And then once that happened, the team was scrambling. They, they, they were just scrambling all year. Um, the rest of training camp and everything, trying to find a fullback. And eventually they, you know, um, ended up with uh, Marcel Reese there. Uh, and yes. that worked out pretty well. Which I really, I really liked Marcel. And I, I know that Seattle is, that's the one position on the team where they really try to save money. Yeah. They is just don't... trying to get a rookie to be able to do it. And they always end up signing a guy like Reese, you know, by the time the first game starts or the second game, because uh, they, they haven't quite found anybody. Um, so we'll see this year. And the other guy I was going to talk about too, was uh, Algernon Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, fullback they got as an undrafted free agent out of BYU. That's an interesting guy. He, I think he's one of the guys uh, as an undrafted free agent that has a chance to stick on the team because of 
uh, special teams. Yeah, that's that's a big part. Is, is special teams. You look at um, some of the stuff that he does as as the up back uh, as a blocker on return teams, um, and his ability to get downfield and and hit people on coverage teams. That that's you know those are the types of things that you need out of a fullback that's only going to play you know five ten percent of your snaps because the six don't use a fullback except for in short yardage uh, situations. And so you've got to find other ways on, on to the field uh, and onto the roster. Um, the other reason why he has a chance to be one of the undrafted guys that makes it is just the lack of competition. Because yep. if, um, if Trey Madden uh, is hurt or hasn't you know, shown that he can do it, or if Cottom isn't 100% back, because let's face it, those Achilles injuries can take another year before uh, you get all of, all of your agility and everything back. Um, you know, you're looking at a guy who doesn't have that much competition to get on to the roster. And that's why I, that's why I think Reese has a good opportunity. Uh, you know, by the time that camp rolls around, uh, to to possibly land back on the team. So Agreed. we'll see that uh, that position group though, the running backs, is going to be an, a fun one to watch. There's just so many new guys. Yeah, well, uh, and we f- haven't even talked about um, the three the, the third down back group. Because there's a group of those guys in here that we haven't even touched on yet. Um, yeah. Well, so precise. I, I mean, yeah. we want him to be healthy. And if he's healthy, he's a dynamic-looking guy. But oh, we've got to get him healthy. Yep. He's a, oh, Man, he's frustrating because he got hurt in camp, and then he came, started to come back and got hurt again. And then, and then he actually came back and got on the field for a few games, and he was like one of those like wow moments. He, yeah. Oh, when he took off on that 70-yard scamper. Yeah. He's got uh, where so he just, much... He, he, one one cut and just boom yeah. and it was wow he's got so much speed and agility and just the physical talents are, are totally there he has um he has that suddenness to his movements that guys like Tyler Lockett have um but he's doing it from the running back position with more size i mean he's just such a dynamic player and i think if if he's healthy and can play um you got to keep him on the field. I mean, how do you take a guy like that off the field? He's so good. And, you know, but again, he has to show that he can stay healthy because he absolutely did not last year. So we'll see what he does uh, this year. And then his direct backup uh, would be last year's undrafted free agent um, fan crush, which was uh, Troy Main Pope. Uh, <laughs> I very, I just knew that you were going to want to talk about him just a little bit, just a little bit, because he's a guy who's <laughs> he's also got that that quickness that you just you can't teach. Um, he's a, he's a lot smaller, and there's a reason why he lasted six plays uh, last season before getting hurt because he's a lot smaller and he's got to prove he can can stand up and um, and deal with. Well, the he's got to prove that he can stick with a 53 man roster, and I just don't see a spot for him. Uh, I don't. I do if Procise is hurt. You know what I mean. So if you've got a guy, it, he's the guy who will make the roster if Procise gets hurt during the preseason. Um, Alex Collins, or not Alex Collins, um, Eddie Lacy could catch the ball out of the backfield really well too. He can, but he's he's more of a you know I'm gonna go out on a swing pass or or, or get a screen. Type That's of true. Thing. That's um, true. He's not gonna go out and. Uh, motion out of the backfield into the slot and then make a, a defensive back look silly uh, the way CJ Procise can. So 
Uh, it's just just not the, not the same kind of player. Um, although there is one other player um, on the roster. Oh my God, who, you're you're gonna kill me. Be, you're gonna kill me with all these players because they just keep coming, and we're do. literally at but, almost but 45 minutes, Keith. And you wanted me to to hustle this show along. Well, I think we're gonna have to. <laughs> I think we're gonna have to stop at running back, and then um, we'll hit the, hit up the wide receivers and tight end next time because we're already running out of time. But uh, JD uh, McKissick is a guy who actually got some playing time last year and looked pretty good as a receiver out of the backfield. And this year they changed his number. He's now wearing four and four and four, 14. Uh, apparently the team has, is talking about him more as a wide receiver than as a running back, but he's still listed as a running back on the roster. And he's an interesting guy, Keith, because Atlanta's fans absolutely fell in love with him in the preseason, kind of like that Tremaine Pope thing only for a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. And so I was a little surprised that, you know, he had eight catches for 50 yards in Atlanta's preseason, and then they let him go. Or, or he he ended up on the practice squad, and then somehow or another, here he is. Yeah, the, C- the uh, C- I think in December we ended up getting him, right? Yeah, the, when, when when Seattle had all those um, those running back injuries, they they grabbed him um, and used him as— And he had a couple carries for us. Yeah, and he, they used him more as a third down back. He had a couple catches, um, and— or at least there he was out there and and looked like he was open type of situation, um, and looked he looked to me like he was genuinely um, dynamic in terms of his ability to, to get open and and um, create separation, and he was doing it out of the backfield as a running back, and now he's kind of that hybrid running back receiver type of situation where. Uh, he is a guy to keep an eye on because if he can. So are you thinking? Things, yeah, thinking along the same lines as Procise and uh, Pope. Absolutely, and that's why I wanted to bring him up because you have that that like three person competition there, which isn't really a competition because the job is Procise's, um, unless he gets hurt. But you know, there 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 are those two other guys, and they've got their talent. They're going to show that they that they belong. So it's it'll be interesting to watch, and and we'll see kind of how that goes. So I think you're right, Keith. I think we should call this show uh, "Offensive Skill Positions Part One." Yep. And we'll we'll do part two next week. And uh, you know, it's the off season. We've got time. We've got a lot of time <laughs> until the uh, the camp rolls along in July. And so, um, and it's just so fun to talk about all these players and where they might fit. And pretty soon. Time just gets away from you. So, so next week, next week, go ahead. I would say next week we'll do uh, we'll we'll start with wide receivers and tight ends and um, keep going down some of these names and the wide receiver one's going to be like running back. There's a lot of names and a lot of really interesting. There's a lot people. of names, a lot of really interesting yeah. people. So, well, we'll be able to talk about the scuttlebutt coming out of the mini camp too. Uh, that'll add to that uh, because wide receivers. You know, there's there's two or three groups that that always look good in these little mini camps because nobody has pads on and nobody's hitting anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, your your defensive backs tend to look good and your wide receivers tend to look good um, because they're fast and quick and it, you know uh, the the backs are letting them catch the balls. You know, typically in in front of them and stuff. So it'll be interesting to see uh, who emerges out of out of camp who's who's kind of got that buzz about them yep and and there's always one or two guys that do so that'll be fun to talk about too so you ready for our ma- our mailbag question this week yeah let's do a mailbag so our mailbag question this week is um and i didn't write down who tweeted this at me so i'll have to um i'll have to see if i can find that and i'll, I'll give credit in the in the the notes 
here, but uh, what was your favorite non-Seahawks draft pick this year? I really had to think about this a little bit, and and I didn't want to choose this guy because he's he's from that rivalry I talked about earlier, San Francisco, and I picked uh, Solomon Thomas, defensive end for San Francisco. I just thought that that was a really good pick for them, unfortunately, and um, kind of reminds me of um, a little bit of a Michael Bennett kind of a guy mm-hmm. where he can play inside and out. Um, he, he plays the run as equally as well as he, he rushes the passer. Um, I just, he's kind of a, a smaller guy at 270. Um, so I, I really do see him as kind of a Michael Bennett version in their defense. Um, and a, and a player that I would have loved to have Seattle sign. Obviously that wasn't going to happen, but, um, It'd be an interesting guy to watch as he as it moves forward. Yeah, I mean that, that about, that's a great that, that was a that's a great pick, and it's because as they transition their defense from the the three four they were running into the uh, yes to the the four three under basically they're they're modeling their entire scheme after Seattle's. You have I, yes, absolutely. You have to have that Michael Bennett. Um, I mean, he's the part that makes the the defensive line work uh, in Seattle, and that's the reason why they. They, the, the Seahawks went and got Frank Clark was because they knew that Michael Bennett made it made the the scheme work and you had to have another guy who could do that in case you know in case he got hurt so uh the fact that they went and they got him it, that's a that's a great pick my favorite I thought they had an I had that thought they had an overall great draft yeah they did for Lynch's rookie rookie GM season he he did it out of the park yep so how about you Keith I was saying my favorite uh non Seahawk pick uh, was actually uh, Deshaun Watson going to Houston. I, I don't know if there's a more perfect landing spot for a quarterback than that because that was a team that, you know, they, they were a playoff team despite uh, Brock Osweiler and how terribly yes. he played because they've got a running game. They've got an incredible defense. They, they had that defense last year that didn't get anything out of J.J. Watt. Um. And they were still great. So now this year they're, they'll be getting Watt back, and they they still have that offensive line and the running game. And you know now they're going to put a quarterback in there who is uh, smart. He's mobile. He uh, can make the throws. Um, I know that the draft community was very split on Watson. I I can understand a little as bit. long as he's as long as he's accurate. Yeah. I think he's great. I think I can understand a little bit why they don't see a really high ceiling for him. Um, but he's got a really high floor as well. So he's he's more like an Alex Smith type, where he's he's gonna be he's gonna be good, but he's not gonna be he may not be great. Um, and well, how soon does he need to be good, Keith, in order for him to to work in that in that situation? I don't think he has to be good right away because do you think they Brock need Oswald to start him this never year? Never good. And do you they, think he starts? I do. I think he, he comes in and starts because. Um, and the thing is, it, it, if he is okay, I think the team will be fine because they won with Osweiler last year, and Osweiler was was bad. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like he was okay or you know mediocre or just a disappointment because of his contract. He genuinely did not play well at all, and um, which surprised me a little bit. I thought that he would have worked really well in that offense, and that's why they got, went out and got him. Yeah. But he didn't. He didn't. It just it fell apart. And I think you're going to take Watson and you're going to fit him in there. And it's just, it's going to be a, a better fit and a, 
I, I just I just see that being when you look at, at quarterbacks, you, you very rarely get that perfect situation. Uh, Wilson, Russell Wilson coming to Seattle with the defense and, and Lynch and everything was an was an amazing situation. Uh, Dak Prescott going to Dallas with their uh, offensive line and running game and weapons was an amazing situation. And then this one with Watson to Houston is an amazing situation. So I just I see a lot of success for him and that team right away. That's a that's a great pick. You know, it was a, it was a tough choice. I mean, I out of anybody, I mean, you just there's so many different players this year, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I thought that were dynamic enough to to really make an impact on the teams that they went to. Um, but yeah, both those guys would have been awesome to have. And and quite honestly, I like that Deshaun Watson pick that you have there in the, in an almost ideal spot landing spot. So that's a that's a great choice. Yeah. So that's going to wrap it for today. Yeah. And, uh, we got through you half can of find... what we had planned. So <laughs> I know, isn't that nuts? And, and I, and I see a, uh, a continuing theme in, in that respect. Yep. So we may just have to resign ourselves to the fact that we're just long winded and we're going to have long podcasts. <laughs> so, uh, let's wrap. Uh, you can find Keith at, Myers NFL on Twitter, and I suggest that you do because he's a really good follow. Comes up with a lot of good stuff all the time. I barely tweet at all because I mostly go on there and just kind of hang back and read everyone else's stuff and and uh, and and like everything that I can. But um, you can find me at NWC Hawk, and you can find the show itself at Hawk's Playbook, and um, look for us at. Uh, blog talk radio uh on the seahawks page and we've got all of our podcasts on there we've got uh i i'll go ahead and say it we're working on a a landing spot permanent landing spot for the show too on a website uh, hawksplaybook.com that's in development and look for that by the end of the month and anything else keith find us on itunes or where any podcast app that you have because we're on itunes so you'll find us there and you can subscribe to us and all of that. And other than that, that's it for me. Excellent. Well, it was a good show. Thank you. And we will see you next week. And we'll talk about tight ends, wide receivers, and a kicker. A kicker. <laughs> a kicker. Yay, kicker. And a pear and a pear tree. <laughs> I can't wait till we get in a long snapper talk. That'll be fun. Uh <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, we could probably go ten minutes without discussion. Oh, we may be the only people who could ever go 10 minutes on that discussion. <laughs> I, I know. Well, and last year it was so frustrating. Yep. I'll just say, I mean, it was, last year was crazy the, what, what happened. And I, you know, whatever. Yep. All right. <laughs> Don't get me started. All right. We'll see you next week. Yep. Thanks for listening, everyone. The Hawks Playbook Podcast is brought to you by the Fan Sided Network and 12thManRising.com. Find our podcast on the website or subscribe on iTunes. You can find both Bill and Keith on Twitter. Bill is at NWC Hawk and Keith is at Myers NFL. <laughs>